Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our 6pm service. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Lift up our hands to you. 
lift up our voices to Higher, higher, praise the Lord. 
is Jesus, we just take this moment to lift your name. To just lift it higher in our lives, Lord. To give it the glory, to give it the honor, to give it the respect, to give it the love, to give it the praise that it deserves. Lord, I pray that as we've just been singing, Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to just draw near to you. Lord, you have drawn near to us. Jesus, you came and you walked amongst us. You died on the cross for us. You rose again. You're alive. Your spirit is here with us. You have drawn near to us. Lord, I thank you that right now, you're as near as you've ever been. You're as near as you will ever be. Your presence is here. Your presence is with us. Lord, we pray that tonight we would just come to know you and know your presence in a new way. In your mighty and powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's, um, it's special to be able to take some time to do something like that. You know, there's a lot of things that we uh, have gone on in our lives and in our world, and even in church sometimes, you know, we can get caught up in just going through the motions and doing things. So it's great to have a moment to just stop, to be still, uh, and to focus on God, particularly uh, if you're anything like me and you're easily distracted and have a very short attention span. I am regularly distracted by everything from push notifications uh, to TV screens at restaurants to you know, furniture advertising, uh, flashing advertising, driving on the side of the road, a notification coming up while I'm driving, just anything and everything can cause me to lose focus. Like, so much so that you would probably classify me as a goldfish, right? Apparently they only have this uh, attention span of three seconds and a memory of three seconds. That sounds like me. See, we have uh, actually got something uh, new in my house that causes me to lose uh, my focus and my attention. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely so bad that when we go to restaurants, Rachel makes me sit with my back to the TV so that I can't be distracted by it. But we've got a new, a new little thing at home uh, that has been grabbing my attention regularly. And uh, it's a little guy by the name of Bailey. Should be hopefully on the screen behind me. He's all of three months old, I know. Look at him. That's my shoes. Look at him, just so cute. Now, I know that our senior pastor is a cat hater. Uh, but everyone who comes to Gateway is welcome, so even he is welcome here. But this is my our little cat, Bailey, so that's him uh, there. He's three months old, and he's a very big fan of cuddles and sleeps, so hopefully you can just see this cute little photo of him having a little nap uh, as well. But he's also not a very big fan of me doing any work either, so he just thinks, you know what, Ben, pay me all the attention that I can get and I sleeps on the top of my laptop. I mean, what am I meant to do, right? I guess I've just got to sit on the couch and do nothing. But Rachel has always wanted a pet, and uh, in particular a cat. She's a big cat's girl. I'm a bit indifferent to animals, full stop. You know, like pets are great, but they're always going to poop, and you're always going to have to clean it up. They're never going to talk. They're never going to pay their own rent. Uh, they're never going to do any of those things. So, like, sure, they're great, but whatever. But, you know, happy wife, happy life. So we went to the RSPCA, and got our little friend uh, Bailey here. But I have to admit, he is super cute and grabs all of my attention all the time. I'll 
be honest, I'm guilty of more than once having lost focus from the TV show that we're watching because he was doing something like yawning or something cute like that. Uh, I've lost attention from the chores that I was doing because you know, like he was like clawing at my, uh, my leg because he wanted to play. And I've definitely more than once lost focus in a conversation with Rachel. And I've definitely heard the phrase plenty of times already, Ben, I know he's cute, but I was talking to you. And I mean, look at, look at that photo of him next to the shoes. I mean, come on. Of course I'm going to lose focus when my wife's talking to me. I mean, that, that sounded wrong, but you know what I mean. The cat's cute. I, lo I love my wife. But losing focus is the point of what I'm trying to say here. And most of the time, it's pretty inconsequential, right? Like, it doesn't really matter that much that I'm a little bit distracted when I'm doing my chores, as long as it's not lawn mowing and I let the lawn mower go with my foot, you know? Like, it's not that Difficult. I mean, some of you have probably faced some consequences of losing focus that haven't been too severe. You know, maybe you were on a, you know, an online Zoom uh, shoot and you were paying attention for most of it, but you got a little distracted, got your phone out, scrolled for a little bit, and you actually missed some pretty important information about an assignment or an area of focus for an exam that you didn't realize until you got your results back from the set assignment or the set exam, and you didn't quite get the marks that you're looking for. Maybe even you got a little F next to your results. Maybe it wasn't too serious because you still passed the unit, you got to resubmit, whatever. It wasn't too serious. But you faced the consequences of losing focus. Now, I'm sure no one here, because none of us would do this at all, has had a near-miss moment because we were texting and driving or trying to change the song and driving. You know, one of those moments, no, I mean, none of you would have had it, where you've been driving and you like, had to hit the brakes really suddenly or get back into your lane because you uh, looked up and realized that maybe you just veered a little bit off. See, nothing too severe. No real consequences for having lost focus. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Well, this morning, this evening even. If I was to ask you, are the consequences serious? If you lose focus in your relationship with God, what would you say? Would you say the consequences are serious? See, for most of us, I think if we were to list off what are the consequences of losing our focus on God, we would probably say something along the lines of this. Uh, if you lose a little bit of focus, you might feel a little bit distant. You might swear a little bit. Again, no one here would do that, but some other people might. Maybe you'll pray just a little bit less. But I actually think we under underestimate the impact that losing a little bit of focus has. See, I think it's more than that because what tends to happen is when we lose our focus on God, we tend to replace that focus with something else. For many of us, it actually is more likely that the focus becomes our own wisdom. The focus becomes our own resources. We focus on what others want us to do, and maybe we begin to focus on what the world thinks about certain topics and certain issues rather than what God thinks about those things. And maybe if you are honest with yourself this, um, this evening, if you were to look back on those moments in your life where you made some decisions or you took some actions that you look back on with a little bit of regret or a tinge of what was I thinking in that moment, you might be able to look back and also realize that maybe in that time, your focus wasn't necessarily on him, but on something else 
instead. See, tonight I want us to understand a couple of little things. One, firstly, I want us to understand what does it look like for us when we begin to lose focus? How can we pick up the warning signs, so to say? And what does it look like for us to begin to refocus in on God and who he is and who he calls us to be? And tonight, I'm going to do that by looking at a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Now, I don't want any of you to try and spell it because it's impossible. I'm pretty sure Microsoft Word told me it was wrong time and time again. But I want to give you a little bit of background on who this guy is as we get in to the topic tonight. See, firstly, you need to understand a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel at this time. Now, imagine the nation of Israel at this moment is kind of like Western Australia with its border with the rest of Australia, right? It's kind of like two kingdoms. They don't really get along, even though they're kind of the same people, right? Like it's separate, but together. You've got two kingdoms. You've got Judah and you've got Israel. One of them kept the naming rights, lucky them. But these are the two kingdoms. They're separate at the moment, and Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And he's inherited the kingdom from his father Asa, A-S-A, who was king for 41 years, which is a pretty good reign. And we see that Jehoshaphat is picking up from where his father has left. So we pick this story up in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. We're going to cover a bit of ground tonight, so I'd love for you to have your Bibles out with you so you can keep up and keep reading along with us as well. But we're going to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 to 6 to begin. This kind of gives us a bit of a summary of how Jehoshaphat starts his rule. It says this, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so that he had great wealth and honor, and his heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So Jehoshaphat starts his rule with a devoted focus on God and wanting to lead his people to do the same. You can tell how important this is to him because he gives all of his attention and all of his resources to it. See, he wouldn't consult other gods. He wouldn't practice the same way that the, uh, the kingdom of Israel would. In fact, if you read a little bit further into this chapter, he actually rolls out the first ever free education program for the, the kingdom of Judah, for them to come to know and understand the rules of God, the word of God, who God was and what God asked his people to be. First person ever do it, sent priests and teachers out into the uh, different cities to teach them because he so desperately wanted his people to understand it. Then he actively went out of his way to remove the high places which were used to worship other gods and the Asherah poles which were part of idol worship from Judah. See, he cleaned out any other god from his kingdom. This is a man who was focused both on his individual relationship with God, but also the state of the kingdom that he led. Now, the thing I love about this focus and devotion is, is that it feels like something I feel when I'm in this room. See, I actually feel that there's a lot of people in this room who have a similar, singular focus on God and his, uh, and his attention and position in your life. See, I actually feel that there's some people here where you feel like at the moment you're having a Jehoshaphatic uh, season, 
a Jehoshaphat experience. You're going, I want to learn and understand God's word. I want to just clean out all of the things in my life that stand against him. I want to be singularly focused on him. And it's one of the things I love about this congregation here at the 6 p.m. service. So each week I try and bring my journal in and write some notes about what I've been seeing and noticing here. And for the last two months, over and over and over again, I've been consistently writing down a phrase of like, there's a fire here, there's a passion here, people are leaning in in worship, there's something tangible that is happening here. And I know it's a mix of what's happening in each of your individual lives, but also what God is doing amongst us as a community. And I just want to take a moment to say we want to continue to fan this into flame. We want to continue to have this, like, this fire and passion that Jehoshaphat has here at the start. See, God is doing something, and we need to continue to lean into it. You know, let him stoke the fire, let him fan the flame. You know, encourage one another, spur each other on, challenge each other to go further, get together outside of just a Sunday and worship together, pray together, read the Bible together, do life together, serve together, stoke what is happening here in this congregation. Because what's happening here on a Sunday matters. And what's happening here on a Sunday is noticed. What's happening here on a Sunday is changing your life, changing the lives of others and countless people who exist outside these walls that we do life with. So if chapter 17 is summarized as Jehoshaphat's passion and Jehoshaphat's fire and an example of what it looks like to begin to focus solely on God, then chapter 18 is where things get really interesting. And chapter 18 is where we're going to learn a little bit tonight about this whole idea of losing focus because chapter 18 is a disaster for Jehoshaphat. Anyone had that season of life? Just like, yep, that was a disaster 12 months. Yeah, fun, isn't it? Like, really great. If you haven't had it yet, look forward to it because it is coming. Woohoo! But commentators talk about how chapter 18 shows that Jehoshaphat has a new focus all of a sudden. See, he actually begins to have a focus on trying to create peace and harmony between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And it starts in verse 1. We read this. Now, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab, who is the king of Israel, by marriage. Now, marriage back in those days, particularly with kings and princes and princesses and all that stuff was highly political. If you're a princess, you didn't really get love, you got politics, which again sounds wonderful. I can't believe we missed out on such a time, but you got politics. So you would get married off in a show of good faith and to try and create peace and harmony and good standing with other, um, you know, other kingdoms, other leaders, other nations. And we see that Jehoshaphat here has created an, uh, an ally with Ahab through marriage. Now, this is just the beginning. If you think that was a bad start, which it doesn't sound that bad, but it was, this is where it begins to get worse. Jehoshaphat has to have dinner with Ahab. I know, disgusting. But at this dinner, he's approached with a proposition to go to war. The kingdom of Judah with the kingdom of Israel coming together to go to war, to claim some land that the kingdom of Israel would like to take back. Now remember in chapter 17, Jehoshaphat wanted to consult the Lord. But in this situation, he actually says yes 
let's go to war. But I would also like to consult with God. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? I want to consult with God. I want to consider his opinion on the matter. But the thing that we should notice the most is that he's actually already agreed to the war. See, in this situation, he's not necessarily, he's not actually consulting God first. He's actually seeking God as his second opinion. I mean, he consults God. He wants God's opinion, but after he's already made a decision. It never seems that bad, but for all of us, we would have these moments where God's opinion is actually our second opinion. Now, I remember being a teenager and having a little bit of a crush on a girl. I know, guilty. But I remember praying a prayer along these lines. God, I really like this girl. I'm going to ask her out unless you say no. Right? We laugh. Seems inconsequential. But if the prayer is something similar, but... God, I'm going to marry this woman unless you say no. Or God, I'm going to take this job unless you say no. We forget that actually what we're asking for is not God's opinion, but God's blessing of our opinion. See, what we're actually doing is going, God, I already have made up my mind. Will you agree with it? See, it isn't about doing God's will. It's actually about God blessing our will. See, you know your focus is off when God's your second opinion. If you're trying to navigate life and you've got your thoughts, you've got your wisdom, you've got your idea, you just ask God for a yes, then your focus is a little bit off. See, this is what Jehoshaphat wants. He basically wants God to bless his idea about going to war. So much so that he asks Ahab to bring in these uh, different prophets. And Ahab goes, don't worry, I got this. I've got 400 prophets. I will bring them all in, right? He brings 400 different prophets in, but these prophets are just yes men. So they come in and they say, guess what? War is going to be great. Everything's going to go well. You'll slay the opposition. They even bring in like some ram's heads and they like got horns on them and they're like, you're literally going to like just go through them like this and like doing all these cool like symbolic acts and making it all big and everything like that. And Jehoshaphat, he has something obviously in his heart because he goes, is there any other prophet who will speak from the Lord. Now, Ahad's like, yeah, there is one other guy. What I love about this is that this is Jehoshaphat seeking his 401st opinion. Now, I don't want to be the 401st guy in anything, even, you know, that would be you know, embarrassing to finish that last. But he invites the 401st person in. And this guy is a legit prophet. He really speaks the word of God. So much so that Ahad even said, I don't want to bring this guy in because he never says anything good about me. Literally, paraphrased from the Bible. He never says anything good about me. What a sook. And that's written in history. Imagine having that attached to your name. But this guy comes in and he says, if you go to war, it's going to end poorly. So poorly that King Ahab, you're going to die. And he even says this, he says, all the other prophets, the 400 of them, God wanted them to tell you to go to war so that you would, so that you will die. And then literally they like, get him out of here. They drag him out. And he's like, basically he's like, I'll be right. You know, like, I'm going to be right. Screw you all. Like, like, that's what he's like. And he genuinely says, if you don't die, God lied. <laughs> Big statement, right? So you can imagine, you just heard that. You're like, mm, maybe I should consider his opinion. Jehoshaphat hears that word, 
which apparently he wanted to hear because he invited one more prophet in. And he still goes to war. See, he ignores it because his focus is off. He just wanted God to bless his plan so he can justify it. And he can. He can say this. 400 people said it would be fine. One crazy guy said it wouldn't be. It's 400 to 1. It's fine. And what we don't realize is Jehoshaphat is plenty strong too. If you go back to chapter 17, it says here's how many men Jehoshaphat has in his army. If you add it up, it's just over a million men in his army. To put that in perspective, Australia has 60,000 active soldiers. He had a million. He was plenty strong enough, plus whatever Ahab got. See, he ignores the Word of God. He's asked for it, he's heard it, and he straight up ignores it. Because his focus is on his own wisdom, his own insight, his own resources, his own power, his own desire for peace and harmony with the relationship between him and Israel. See, if you find yourself ignoring God's word, you've lost focus. And in fact, it might just be the wake-up call you need. See, for me, when I was a teenager, I'm a pastor's kid, and just a fun fact, when you're a pastor's kid, you're not cool. It's just like kind of how it works. Well, sorry, like to some of the pastor's kids here tonight, but it's just kind of how it works. You've got to do a whole lot more work to be considered cool right? I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. I mean, the guys up here are a little bit cooler, but I think that's more to do with Queensland uh, than anything else, that surfing tropical lifestyle. But as a pastor's kid, I had it real tough. My parents gave me a bowl cut when I was like five or six, which apparently was cool. They're here tonight. I forgive them. It's okay. But it was tough. I didn't have cool jeans. I didn't have cool clothes. And I realized when I was a teenager, I was right at the bottom of the cool scale of the cool socio-economic status. I was right at the bottom of it. And I really, really, really wanted to fit in, and I really, really wanted to be a little bit cooler. And so my focus became, how could I be as cool as possible? And I know looking at me, you're probably going, Ben, give me your seven tips for success, because you've absolutely nailed it tonight. <laughs> but I wasn't cool then, and I'm really not that cool now, but this isn't my therapy session. What I realized was I began to kind of shift and change. Now, I realized that teenagers think it's cool to swear, right? So I learned all the cool swear words, and I invented a few new ones too. So some of them, if you tell them to me, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's mine. I created that one. I got really interested in trying to get a lady because I realized that was important. If you got a girlfriend, apparently you're instantly cooler, which is true because it's like, wow, someone actually loves you? That must be nice, you know? Like, that's a cool feeling. I tried to work my way up the social ladder through gossip and slander. I wanted to uh, be really cool, so I listened to the edgiest music you can imagine, heavy metal. And it was shocking in its lyrical content. People were scared of me. That's cool. All of these things just in an attempt to be a little bit cooler. And so many of these things going against what I had been taught and learnt and knew. I was a pastor's kid, I knew you shouldn't swear. I was a pastor's kid, I knew you should treat women with dignity and respect and that they weren't objects to be used to climb the social ladder. You know, I knew that gossip and slander were poisonous and bad and shouldn't be how we talk about other people, particularly behind their back. And I knew that listening to things along those lines, while it may not necessarily be an immediate sin and not going to help me live a life of greater purity. 
I knew all these things, but I completely ignored them because I had a different focus. See, when your focus is off, you'll tend to do the exact same thing. Maybe climbing the corporate ladder, maybe an obsession with having a relationship, maybe trying to make money, whatever it is, you have this focus and it will shape and mold the decisions that you make. You'll throw people under the bus, you'll adapt who you are, you'll change what you believe in certain moments and circumstances to try and see this focus fulfilled. You'll give it all of your attention and all of your resources. The challenge, though, is in these moments, are we willing to be open to the wake-up call? See, Jehoshaphat teaches us one final lesson, and it's what happens when we don't realize our focus is off. And you know your focus is off when you end up in the situation that Jehoshaphat finds himself in. Listen to this. They decide to go to war, and Ahad is so concerned with being killed in battle that he somehow thinks it's a good idea for him to dress up as a soldier in disguise and make Jehoshaphat dress up as a king in all the royal robes so that the other people will think Jehoshaphat is Ahad. Sounds like a good idea, right? No. But Jehoshaphat goes along with it. He literally walks into war dressed as the king while the other king just stands there dressed as a soldier pretending like he's a nobody. Guess what happens in the war? The other nation decide that they're going to target the king because, you know, if you kill the king, everyone kind of normally like leaves, the war goes over. So Jehoshaphat has to run for his life while this nation chase him and Ahad is just kind of standing around chilling, being completely ignored. Ironically, what happens is a soldier just like fires off an arrow randomly. It pierces Ahad's um, you know, armor, gets him, he slowly dies, and Jehoshaphat makes it back to his home city. But I can imagine that if I'm Jehoshaphat running away from this situation, I'm thinking to myself, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I find myself in a situation where I am running for my life because I've dressed up as a king while the other king hides? How did I get here? The real challenge for us is that Jehoshaphat wasn't doing anything evil. All he wanted was peace. And that's a good thing to want. We see that today with what's going on in the world around us right now. People want peace. He wanted a good thing. He was fighting for a good thing, but that good thing caused him to lose sight of God. See, the lesson we have to learn is that you don't have to focus on something bad to let it lead you off track. If you let anything get in the way of you and God, even what's good can lead you astray. See, don't let good get in the way of God. Because anything that takes our focus off God, that causes us to make God our second opinion, or causes us to ignore what he has written in his word, that causes us to land in a situation where we're going, how did I get here, is something that we shouldn't have our focus on in the first place. And if I was to ask you tonight, have you lost your focus? How would you answer? Are you setting the agenda for your life and hoping God will bless it? Are you noticing that you're beginning to ignore the word of God? Or are you right now sitting here going, I'm in the midst of one of those how did I get here moments. 
And heck, for some of you, it could be you've just walked in here because you're in the midst of one of those moments going, I need to get my life together and I need to get it together fast. But for some of you, you actually may be sitting here thinking, I've been focusing on some good things, but they've become too much of my focus. I mean, it could be a relationship. Like, let's be real. You should love the person that you're in a relationship with. Give them, their, give them the attention, love, and respect that they deserve, but not at the cost of loving God. I remember being 21 years old in a relationship with a girl, and I felt like I was loving her too much. And I remember saying to my mom, Am I meant to be a monk, you know? Am I meant to be a monk? Because maybe I love this girl too much, right? That's the kind of question you should be asking. Do I love God more than I love this girl? Should I be a monk? You know, are relationships too much of a distraction for me? Should I be a monk? If you're asking that question, you're killing it tonight. But it could be your career. You know, are you so focused on getting further and further in your career that all of a sudden you're skipping life group? missing out on church, working on projects, doing all of these things just to try and get a little bit further, trying to make sure you notice, trying to make sure that you continue to progress. Again, it's good for you to develop and hone the skills that God has given you, but not at the cost of focusing on God. It could be anything. It can be your health and fitness. It can be your finances. It could be anything. Because anything that gets between you and your focus on God is a thing that you shouldn't be focusing on. So the question is, what do you do now? Well, again, let's look at what happens to Jehoshaphat. He finally makes it home from war, and he's met by another prophet. And he says this, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. But there is, however, some good in you. For you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. See, this is a wake-up call moment for Jehoshaphat. He's reminded of what he's done both good and bad, and he's invited to renew his focus on what it was when he started, to set his heart on seeking God, which he does. He sends out judges, he sends out priests, he goes and teaches the people all over again, and then we actually see it all come to a head in this pinnacle moment, Jehoshaphat faces a second war. In 2 Chronicles 20, we see that there's a few nations, three of them in fact, who are coming against Jehoshaphat in the kingdom of Judah. And we see that this is Jehoshaphat's response. I want you to notice it compared to chapter 18. It says this, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. See, the word resolves means firmly determined. He is determined to inquire of the Lord. He's focused. And his prayer that he prays with the nation together finishes with verse 12, which says this, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. See, God is now their focus. He's where their attention is fixed. He is where all their hope lies. And he starts this whole entire process by remembering what God has done. So the start of that prayer that finishes with our phrase, our eyes are on you, is actually a prayer that begins with reminding himself and the nation of Israel what God has done 
throughout the generations. He reminds them of the promises that he's made and the promises that he's fulfilled. He's reminded them of the power that has been poured out upon that nation and through that nation because God has been with them. He reminds them of all of these things and it helps them to refocus. To some of you here tonight, you need to refocus. And actually the first thing you can do is just remember what it was like when you started. See, maybe for some of you it's actually just remembering the little things, that God called you into the career that you are in, not just for your own benefit, not just for your own financial gain, but to be a person of godly influence in the environment that he's called you to, to be someone who maybe has financial benefit to support those who are going and doing God's kingdom work all around the world and who are in need or financial support. Is that why you got into the career that you got into? Is it that you need to come back and remember that while you've been focused on your finances and how tight they may be, you're actually invited to refocus on the fact that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That's your focus. Not your own personal finances, not your own ability to earn an income, but the God who provides. Maybe it's to remember that season of your life where you had such great intimacy with God. Like you look back on it fondly and you go, man, those were the good old days. I remember that fire, I remember that nearness, I remember that sense of just Him being so closely present with me. And maybe you need to remember the fact that a contributing part of that was how near you were drawing to Him. You know, that you had a special time of prayer or a great worship playlist or you're in your word every day or you had a life group that you were deeply a part of where you shared and encouraged and strengthened one another. Is it time to remember and refocus on these things? See, where do you need to remember and what do you need to refocus on for this next season? Because as Jehoshaphat remembered and refocused, we see this incredible way that God comes through. I want to read it for you this evening. It says this, verses 14 to 24. So this is in response to Jehoshaphat's prayer. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Notice that this is the word of of the Lord. This is God's leading. They've sought him and he has responded. And then Jehoshaphat bows down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. See, they've responded immediately. 
And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So they're so focused on God that they actually think that their best offense is not army, but actually worshiping and praising God. They're marching to worship songs. As I, said, I listen to metal. I could have given them some pre-war amp-up songs, but they decided that they wanted to focus on God and who he is instead. And then it says, as they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Look at the difference between chapter 18, when Jehoshaphat tried to do things his own way, when his focus was on what he wanted. It ended in disaster and despair. But war comes again, and this time he and the nation of Israel seek the Lord and his wisdom, and they respond appropriately. They respond in obedience. They don't ignore, they don't try and work it out themselves, and they walk faithfully. See, the contrast is stark. Focus on peace, end up running for his life. Focus on God, he arrives at a battle that's already won. See, when we focus on God and we want God to bless our preferences or ignore his commands, we find ourselves in how did we get here situations. But when you focus on God, life's not necessarily going to be easy. You know, they still end up marching out for war, they still prepare for battle but they find that they walk into a place where the battle is already won. Where your focus lies matters. You know, if you focus on other things, they'll lead you to other places, but if you focus on God and the direction that he gives for your life, if he give, you give him all of your attention and all of your resources, he will lead you and guide you in the ways that he has for you. He'll give you the wisdom you need when you need it. He'll give you the provision that you need when you need it. He'll put the people in your life that you need when you need it. Like he'll just, he'll continue to do this over and over and over again. We just continue to come unstuck when we try and do things in our own power, in our own wisdom, with our own resources again and again and again. And it's human. We're all going to be distracted. We're all going to lose our focus from time to time. But the challenge comes in terms of when we're going to notice it. Are we going to pick it up earlier? Are we going to wait? Are we going to take our time? Or are we going to notice and refocus as soon as we can. And this doesn't just apply to us as individuals, but to us as a church, for us as a community. So we're a church that wants to hunger after the presence of God because we recognize the power that comes when our focus is firmly fixed on Him. See, we know that while we're a church full of great people like yourself, full of incredible wisdom, with great resources, able to make a big difference, with great leaders, with great ministries, with great programs, all of these things, that we haven't made it to the, this point over the last 94 years in our own strength and in our own wisdom and with our own good ideas. See, it's not in the strength of our leaders, though we have great leaders, 
It's not in the strength of our preachers, though we have great preachers. It's not in the strength of our ministries. It's not in the strength of just our pastoral care. It's not in the strength of any of these things. It's in the fact that this has been a church that has continually done all that it can to stay focused on God, to be led by Him, to walk in step with His Spirit, to be dependent on Him when we are in need and seemingly in lack, seeking His leading and His guiding, doing what He wants. And if you've been here over the last couple of years or just joined us recently, you may have noticed or heard that we are doing 21 days of prayer and fasting, but we've been doing this over the last few years because at the start of every year, we want to take some time to refocus on Him. 21 days to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we've been focusing on instead? What is it that I need to cut out of my life? What is it that I need to let go of for a period of time so that I can remove the distractions and refocus on Him instead? It's why we hunger after His presence. See, I don't know about you, but when I get hungry, I have a singular focus on getting fed. So you tell me, hey, have you thought about having sushi? And I will have to have sushi for lunch that day. I can't not stop thinking about it. If you offer me a bar bar burger, I will risk grilled being a COVID hotspot and I will go there to get one. See, we hunger because it's our basic need for survival. But when we hunger after something, so often we become fixated on it. It gets our attention. We put all our effort and energy and resources into trying to secure it so that we can be replenished and re-strengthened and refueled. And that's how it needs to be with our hunger and desire for God's presence. We need to be focused in on Him. And as I said, we've been doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We were meant to start on Monday, but uh, we're going to talk about this last Sunday. But as you may have noticed, church got cancelled last week with all the flooding. So we're doing it now. So it's the 21 days if you've already started or potentially if you want to join us now, the 14 days of prayer and fasting. It's not really about the length of time, right? You haven't done anything less if you jump on in 21, um, for 14 days instead of 21. If what you're doing is taking the time to refocus on God instead. In fact, it doesn't matter if you need to think about it for a couple of days and join us on Wednesday. Just think about it. Is tonight the night where you're getting a little bit of a wake-up call? Well, actually, I have begun to ask God to be my second opinion. I have been ignoring what I know God's called me to do. Oh, actually, I am in the midst of how did I get here moment. Is it time for me to refocus in on God? If it is, it's time for you to step into the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're calling it this year the 21-day challenge because we want to take the challenge of removing all the distractions to focus in on Him. And to do it, you can do it very simply. All you need to do to lean into the 21 days of prayer and fasting is three things. One, think about what is one prayer I want to pray. So what's the one thing you really want to pray about? Is it wisdom that you need? Is it provision that you need? Is it a friend that needs something? What is it the one prayer that you want to pray? What is the one thing you're going without? Is it social media? I mean, get off it, delete them all, get rid of it. Is it the music you listen to, the booze you drink, the food you turn to? What is it? What are you going to go without? And who is the one person you're going to tell? Both your prayer and what you're going without. See, the 21-day challenge works so well because they do it as group fitness. So they've got people supporting each other, encouraging how they're doing it all together, because let's be real, it's not always super fun to go without to focus on something else. But it is always beneficial. 
So who's the one person that you can tell? And so what I want to do is just give you a moment. Just take a moment to stop and to think. What is the one prayer that you want to pray? What is the one thing you're going to go without? Who is the one person you're going to tell? Just take a moment. Begin to think about it. If you've got your phone, you can write it down in your notes. Go for it. But what I want to do tonight to finish is I actually want to give us a chance to respond and to pray for one another. Because I know there's some people in the room where tonight you go, actually, I really need to refocus. I'm, I'm very, very aware that I've lost my focus. There's definitely something between me and God that is taking my attention and my resources. And I just want to invite us to stand where we are tonight, to jump to your feet, because we're going to sing together in a moment, just to prepare you to get your feet moving. Because if that's you tonight, if tonight you go, you know what, I want to refocus, I want to step in to these 21 days or these 14 days, whatever that is. I want to refocus on him. I want him to be the focus of my attention, my resources. I don't want him to be my second opinion. I don't want to ignore what he's asked me to do anymore. I need him. I want to focus on him. I actually want to invite you tonight to come down the front, to make a stand and say, this is me. This is what I want. I want to focus on him. And it's kind of this idea of you're stepping out from those who are around you, from the things that surround you, and you're coming down to the front and say, God, you are my singular focus. God, tonight I want to give myself to you. I want to give you my focus and my attention all over again. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come down the front. So if that's you, begin to think about it. Come down the front, prepare to do what God wants you to do. So Lord, we just pray for tonight. Lord, we pray for the people who are here. Lord, I pray that you would just help them to just refocus in on you. Lord, to know your goodness and to know your faithfulness in their life. But Lord, to just recognize if there's anything that has just been getting between them and you. Lord, even if it's something good and it's getting in the way of you, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see it and to notice it, Lord, and to begin to refocus their minds on you. Lord, I pray that as they step into this 21 days of prayer and fasting, Lord, I pray that you would give them a prayer to pray, something to go without, something that has been a distraction for them, and someone to support them along the journey. Lord, we pray these things in your name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through those doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.